The Duly Noted Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's. Satisfy your craving for hand-breaded chicken and fresh-made salads. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com forward slash podcast. And by Vistar Credit Union with locations across Gator Country. Visit vistarcu.org and also ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. ABC always be celebrating. This is Dooley Noted, everything Florida Gators, with your host, Pat Dooley. All right, welcome into another Dooley Noted podcast. Appreciate everybody for listening in. We've got a lot of stuff for you uh, coming up here on our website. We we just, in fact, I'm a little hoarse because we just taped a uh, three segment thing that's going to be around right around the Christmas holidays, like it's 23rd, 24th, and 25th of. Uh, Looking back at the Gator season, looking back at the best plays, the, the loudest crowds, all this kind of stuff, I think you're going to enjoy it. Robbie and I just finished taping that, and of course, we got a bunch of other stuff, and we'll be doing another podcast next week on Tuesday. Also, next week, at some point, we'll have this up too. We're going to talk to Steve Spurrier about his uh, three experiences at the Orange Bowl. And of course, he won one as a player, his final game as a player. Um, and won one as uh, obviously won two as a coach, his final game as a coach, which is weird. He was telling me, I said, you know, it's kind of weird that I don't know, ironic or coincidental or whatever you want to call it, that your final game as a player and final game as a coach both happened in Miami, you which is where you were born, <laughs> which is bizarre in a way. Uh, and he was pointing out to me that his first game as a player and his first game as an assistant coach was against SMU. And I was like, uh, okay, I'll have to look that up. But I'm sure you're right. And, of course, he was. Uh, so we'll we'll be taping that with him next week. He's up at the Heisman. And, um, you know, he's going to enjoy the Hall of Fame stuff and everything. And, and so great that um, – you know, to talk to him today, and we'll be doing that next week. So anyway, there's going to be a lot of stuff up on the web, web uh, for you guys to look at, and that's that's our thing, man. We're, we're going to give you everything we can, and we're going to give you an awful lot on this Orange Bowl game. I know the perspective is a little skewed on this for a lot of fans, um, and, it, and I know also that sometimes I get the squeaky wheels. People call in and complain. People text and complain. People email and complain. And I, I, I get it. I mean, look, I, I'm with you on half of it, but not the half that I think that matters the most. People are upset that they drew Virginia. And you've got to understand the way the Bulls work. And I think you guys, for the most part, do. And that is that the Orange Bowl was locked in to the ACC champion, right? Well, the ACC champion is going elsewhere, as we all know, in Clemson. Well, then you've got to take the second best team. And that ends up being Virginia, who played in the ACC championship game. So that's what you that's what you get. And then the other team is the high, either the highest. I think it's the highest ranked uh, SEC team, or Notre Dame, or it could be a Big Ten team. But we all knew it was going to be Florida. And some people are upset. I think too that Florida's ranked ninth and Georgia's fifth. And I can explain it. It's pretty simple. In fact, it's really simple. Um, the the committee obviously valued quality wins over bad losses 
and the the obvious question, which is that Georgia beat Florida. Now, I don't think Georgia should be um, four spots ahead of Florida. You know, uh, in the AP poll that we I vote on didn't have them there. The coaches polled it have the same way. Um, I don't think Georgia should be five, uh, even though those are nice wins that they had. And again, we're talking about Notre Dame. We're talking about Auburn, and we're talking about Florida. Whenever Florida was a big game for them, and it put them in position to be in the playoff. But obviously, the team that we saw on Saturday night wasn't very wasn't very uh, healthy and wasn't very good. There's no doubt about it. Um, so, at any rate, that's why Florida now now Georgia's losses are terrible. Georgia's losses are to a terrible South Carolina team, which I still don't know how they got to be four and eight, but they did. They lost to them at home and in Atlanta with a with the majority of the crowd was 70-30 from what everybody tells me. And again, I wasn't there, so I can't tell you 100%, but a majority crowd, and they got, you know, boat raced. So, um, now I know they had a bunch of injuries and everything, but those are really bad losses. Florida's losses are by 14 in a game that was in doubt until the last five minutes of the game in Baton Rouge and then to Georgia obviously in Jacksonville by seven points. So, look, you can make an argument you sh- Florida should be ahead of Georgia, but in the end, Georgia winning the head-to-head wins. It didn't really matter. The only difference is between whether you were going to go to the sugar or the orange, and if you wanted to go to the sugar so bad, you maybe should have gone last time. <laughs> but the bottom line is the last time Florida played uh, Louisville, obviously, in the Sugar Bowl, it was embarrassing how few Florida fans went went there. And again, this has nothing to do with why Georgia went, but I don't know that fans were that excited about going to – it was, wasn't as much about going to the Sugar Bowl. It was about playing a team like Baylor, a team you hadn't seen before. Uh, but again, you haven't seen Virginia. They played once, 1959. Not many of you were there. In fact, I'm speaking of the quarterback club tonight. That may be the only people that were there at that game. Um, I was not there. I was five. I thought about going, but I didn't go. Um, so saying I'm too much, so I'll quit saying I'm so much. Again, it is your bull perspective depends on a little bit on on how old you are too. Don't forget when Florida played in the in the 1965 Sugar Bowl against Missouri. Okay. That's a famous game, 20 to 18. Florida went for two. We all know that story. That was the first time they played in a major bowl. The next year they played in the Sugar Bowl with Steve Spurrier quarterback and won it. That was the biggest win at that point in Florida football history. They had won a major bowl game. Some people may argue, well, what about when they beat Georgia Tech, you know, in 1960, all that. At that point, that was the biggest bowl. I think people do get spoiled in how big the bowl games sometimes are, but the bottom line is this is a big deal to be in a New York Six Bowl. You've got a chance to finish the season in the top five. And here's one thing I think everybody has to remember. Okay, they did this ranking, and you see Georgia's five and Florida's nine. Let me tell you how little that means now, okay? It means nothing because they're not doing another one. They're done. So Georgia's five, Florida's nine, but in the coaches' poll and the, and the AP poll, it's I think they're seventh in both of them, right? Florida, 
Look, they're going to go ahead of Georgia if they win and Georgia loses to Baylor. They're going to go ahead of them. And they're going to probably end up in the top five. Well, it depends on what happens, but that's the poll now that matters. And it's only about propaganda, right? When you you would much rather walk into a place uh, as a rec- to a recruits place and said, "Hey, you may have seen us on TV the other night, you know." And uh, by the way, we finished fifth in the country. We're a top five team. We're a top five program. Uh, last year we were a top ten program. We're a top five program now. We're making strides. So it's important from that aspect. But don't again, don't forget where Florida's ranked in the in the uh, coaches or the I'm sorry. The um, playoff don't matter. That's over. It's done. It's a done deal. It mattered about the sugar, and it mattered about the orange. And the be- biggest thing was they stayed ahead of Alabama and Auburn, which we all knew they would. When when that came out last, what was it? Last Tuesday, I'm like, oh wow, I I I think that's right. I agree with it, but I'm a little surprised, and that meant Florida was going to get into a New Year's Six Bowl. All right, as we do always around this time, we have to take a break. We'll do that. Then we'll come back. I'll tell you a little bit more about this game and in Virginia. Um, I will be doing another podcast next Tuesday, and then uh, I don't know if we're going to be able to do one until after the game, but we will get back to it. Uh, we'll tell you about that. Also, who are the top 150 coaches in the country? A couple of them are Gator coaches. And uh, I got three things, and I got some other talks on bowl games. I'm going to cut it a little short today just because of my throat. Also, we'll be joined by Scott Rabelais from the Baton Rouge Morning Advocate a little bit later. You're listening to the Duly Noted Podcast at Gatorsports.com. At ViStar, we believe in better. And that means treating people better with friendly, personal service that's kept our members happy since 1952. A smile and personal greeting when you enter the branch, an online or phone chat for those quick questions, and a call center that's open every day. If you believe that great service is better, join ViStar. We never forget that it's your money. All loans subject to approval, insured by NCUA. No one gets you ready to celebrate like the team at ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. You want great prices in a giant selection? They've got it. You need convenient locations, online ordering, and fast service? ABC's got you covered. Get a jump on this month's deals at abcfws.com. Visit any of their 123 Florida stores today for free samples or get expert advice from their beer, wine, or spirits experts. Don't forget a cigar in their walk-in humidor. ABC is Florida family-owned and operated since 1936. ABC. Always be celebrating. Okay, welcome back and uh, to the podcast. I hope you. I hope. I mean, I get so many nice things said about this podcast, and I'm glad people enjoy it. I love doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. Um, again, as we're going to take a little break for Christmas and the holidays, and we just aren't set up down there to uh, do something like this, do a podcast. We may look into something to do one. Um, but as soon as I get back from the Orange Bowl, we will, again, go back to doing them every Tuesday. Um, and we're, we're going to talk about it, though. We may move it to Wednesday. i got to look at the basketball schedule. And I'm going to talk a little basketball today. You know, you – that's when you can turn me off because I know it's not that you don't want to talk about basketball as a sport. You, right now, you're not real happy with this team again. 
But um, again, we'll be doing it. We'll do one more next week before we take off for the Christmas holidays. Now, Virginia. It is a team that had a really nice season. Bronco Mendenhall's really good coach. They got a quarterback, uh, Bryce Perkins, who is a dual threat guy, leads them in passing, leads them in rushing. Um, he is the guy you've got to stop, and he's he's a dual threat. This is a team that, however, they're not great. They're 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 a nice team. They've they've had a nice year. You know, their losses are to Notre Dame. No shame in that. Miami, there is shame in that. In fact, I remember watching that game, and they were uh, – because sometimes you, you go – you look at a score and you go, oh, yeah, they lost 17-9 in Miami. What? Oh, yeah, now I remember. They stunk on ice that day. Um, Louisville they lost to. Louisville had a, ni- a mediocre season. And then, of course, to Clemson, where they got destroyed. I will tell you this. They are giving up in their last six games 38.7 points a game. Uh, now, skewed a little bit by the 62 that Clemson got. But they're giving up a lot of points. They are 11th in the ACC in rushing and first in passing. So I didn't even realize that. that I mean, I've paid attention to Virginia, and obviously uh, we saw them beat FSU. But they don't have great wins. Their best win was the the win over Virginia Tech to win the, the division. The Coastal, I think it is. <laughs> That's bad that I don't know these by heart. But um, – so that was their best win. And Virginia Tech's been kind of a spotty team up and down. They kind of ran, made a run at the end, but they're not, they're nothing special. The point uh, of me, of this whole thing, and I'll give you some more stats in a minute, is that Florida's better than Virginia. They're significantly better, in my opinion. We have to wait and see who plays and who doesn't play. We know C.J. Henderson's not playing. Uh, Dan Mullen said the other day he didn't think anybody else. He thought everybody else would be playing, but you don't know yet. I mean, who knows? There's guys still with fifth cousins in their ears when they go home for Christmas or when they go home, um, you know, after exams. Uh, there's there are guys who have agents coming to them that are that are going to go out. You you don't know, okay? So if Florida has everybody like I, I I hope John Grenard plays in this game first of all I want to see him again I want to interview him again he's but he has been a delight this year I was so happy you know, like some guys you vote for for all SEC that was one where I I wanted to vote for him twice because he was not only was he a great player this year and you saw when he wasn't playing the difference it made for Florida's defense but he was just a great guy from the first interview to the last and um you always like guys like that. Um, but we'll see. I mean, he could have people who get into his ear and say, you know, you don't want to get hurt, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I know this. The guys who show up and play this game, it's, what is it, Miami Gardens, I think it's called. You know, Robbie and I were talking about this. We're, we're never going to be in the city of Miami the entire time we're there because we're staying in Fort Lauderdale and the game's not in Miami either. Um, but the guys who show up there, going to be ready to play. I have no doubt about that. We we know that much about Dan Mullen and his teams. And um, like he said, if you're going to play, be all in or don't play. And I agree 100% on that. If you're going to play, play. If you don't, don't want to play and you're kind of, I don't know if I want to, then don't play. You know, they'll be, they'll just, they'll figure it out without you. They've been doing this all year. 
They've been playing all year without guys, left and right. So, um, you know, whatever happens there, you just have to you just have to roll with the punches. Again, I, I've said this a billion times, and I'm going to say it again. It's their lives and their decisions, and all of the fans. And I and I I get where you're coming from. Oh man, I can't believe. Oh, I feel like I got this email or a text actually about that seems disrespectful to CJ for CJ not to play. It's his life. He didn't want to be there here this year anyway. And I'm not saying he didn't play well, but you could just sense it. The CJ Henderson was like, I got to get through this year. Now I'm going to make plays here and there. I didn't think he played great this year. I know that he was on the coaches all SEC team. That, that's ridiculous. You clearly didn't – You, I know you guys watch games, but again, this may be SIDs voting and they go – uh, let me see who's on the preseason. I took it very seriously in the AP vote. I can tell you that. I did not vote for C.J. Anderson. I did vote for John Grenard and Kyle Pitts, first team, and I voted for David Reese. I actually voted for Evan McPherson over Rodrigo Blankenship, and here's why. Two losses, what happened? Missed three field goals. Missed one to cost you the game. Missed two in the in the uh, LSU game. I'm not voting for you. I thought Evan McPherson had a great year. Again, but a little homer vote maybe. Uh, a little bit more on Virginia. They are 40th in defense in the country, 82nd on offense. And this goes back to they can't run the ball. The quarterback is their best runner. They don't have a, a dynamic tailback, and that may fit feed right into what Florida wants to do against them. Um, of course, Florida 54th in offense, which normally you would say, that's terrible, but we all know what we've been through the last 10 years. That's great. 54th, yay. They can get in the top 50. In offense, oh my gosh. <laughs> but again, with no running attack. So uh, turnover margin, um, they are minus three. So they've turned it over a little more than they've got it. Florida's a plus five. and uh, but, but there's an interesting thing about turnover margin that I find fascinating. And we'll talk about the playoffs in just a minute. Turnover margin... The three teams that are in the playoff, other than Oklahoma, are plus 20, 33 combined. Oklahoma, minus 7. And they lead the nation in penalties. So what Riley, Lincoln Riley has been able to do has been pretty amazing. Um, to lead the nation in penalties and be awful in turnover margin, one of the worst in the country, and be 12-1 playing for the championship, and I'll get to that a little bit. We're, we're going to break down a little bit more next week uh, what I think is going to happen in those games. Um, the rankings did come out, as we all know, and uh, I had no real quarrel. I already talked about Florida and Georgia and explained that a little bit. I, I, you know, I would add Florida 6th or 7th. Um, I had them in 7th in the – I think I had them 6th in the AP – no, 7th in the AP poll. But um, the one that, that didn't make sense, and I wrote about this a little bit today – was Virginia getting ranked 24th. They dropped one spot. They got destroyed. They were not competitive in the game. They've got four losses, but I am 100% convinced, and I know that they will deny it, that the committee subconsciously or consciously said, we don't want an unranked team down there. Virginia had no business being ranked after that debacle. I mean, every once in a while I'd look. We had two TVs going. Every once in a while I'd look over and go, oh, God. They scored again. Other than that, though, this guy's did a great job. And congrats to Scott Strickland. I know he has one more year on that um, 
excuse me, one more year on the panel to be. Uh, and I think he, I think he enjoys it, but it does. It is really time consuming. You know, I think he enjoys it partly because whatever he votes, however he votes, and again, he loves being recused. I, because I, I, it's funny when he went on the committee when Scott Strickland was named to the committee, I was like, hopefully one day you have to step out of the bill, out of the room. And he's had to do it both years um, on the committee, and he's got one more year. But uh, he's hoping he does, gets, has to do it again next year because when Florida they're talking about Florida, he has to leave the room. It just it, it takes up a lot of time. And uh, but the good thing about it, I was going to say, I got my train of thought back, was. You, you vote on it, you do this, you make these selections, and you don't really have to answer for it. Rob Mullen's the only one that, that he's the sole voice of the committee. He's the only one really that gets quoted or talked to. You don't have to answer for it. You say it, you know, talk to Rob Mullins. I'm all right. I'm okay. You, you guys don't want to talk to me about it. Now, uh, look, I'm sure he has feelings, and I'm one day probably going to talk to him about why Florida was where they are and Georgia was where they are, but I, I think I get it and I understand and I think I just explained it. Um, a couple other things I wanted to get to. Uh, first of all, we have new coaches, obviously. The Mike Norvell hire, uh, and again, it wasn't an SEC hire, but the Mike Norvell hire is significant, obviously, because it was FSU, and uh, we'll see how he does. You know, it's um, he's I think he's a pretty good coach. He, he's also had some mediocre years at Memphis and, and it had one special year this year. They were pretty good two years ago too. Uh, it's a different world now. He hasn't been recruiting guys. That's the one thing to remember. And, and I've talked about this before. When Dan Mullen got to Florida, he had to change his recruiting. It's the same as Mike White had to change his recruiting because he was he wasn't Mike White wasn't recruiting those guys to La Tech that he's not going to recruit to Florida. Same for Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen's recruiting a bunch of three stars. Occasionally, he would get a guy. You know, a five star here and there, or be, or you get Nick Fitzgerald's with no stars. But he had to change his philosophy, and it takes you a while to get in on those guys. It's all about relationships. You start recruiting them when they're in eighth grade. You know, it, so you got to establish relationships with the high school coaches, with everybody, and it's going to be the same way for Norvell because he's been recruiting to Memphis, and and while they have really good players and they've done a good job. Um, He's done a good job developing them. He's gonna. It's gonna take him a while. This will not be a no-brainer. This will not be Norvell's gonna do great. This will not be Norvell's gonna do great right away. He might do all that. He may might make life miserable for the Gators. I don't think so. I don't. I certainly don't think it'll happen right away. Um, and obviously, what they have to do as a program is get out of that mentality that they had with Willie Taggart. Willie Taggart um, wasn't very good at that, in that situation. We all know how undisciplined they were. We've chronicled it. But they really never gave him much of a chance. He lost his first game, and they were already ready to get rid of him. And with, I think with Mike Norvell, and look, there may be a white-black thing here. I don't know. There, are, it, It's amazing to me. That I think there are only 12 um, pow, um, FCS – coaches who are african-american now head coaches and one of them got promoted as an as a um, as an, uh, a coordinator at washington uh, lake there aren't many and and they they're, they're deteriorating they're, they're dropping off and i don't I, mean, I don't know if that's part of the factor i don't know 
the culture over there that well. I don't spend any time in Tallahassee. Once every two years, that's it. But I, if I was going to give any advice to my Florida State friends, and I do have one that I can think of, it would be be patient this time. Don't fly off the handle after you lose your first game. You're not going to beat Clemson. You know, it's a, it's kind of the same way with all the other th- jobs in the SEC that were – look, Missouri doesn't have the players to compete in the East. Everybody thought they did and everybody was talking about it, and they obviously didn't. We found that out. Part of their problem is a quarterback, and, and that was where everybody thought they were going to be great. So remember that. It's going to take them a while at, at Missouri. It's going to take them a long time at Arkansas. It's going to take them a while at Mississippi. He's got some good players, but they don't they don't have the players to win 10 games at Ole Miss right now, and they I don't know how they're going to get them. You're still – people think – and now, look, the media has been very pro Lane Kiffin going to Ole Miss because we want to see him in Atlanta for the SEC um, all, uh, media days. And we want him back in the league because he's going to say stupid things. We know that. It, it's coming. He, had, he was very engaging in his press conference. He was very engaging uh, on Feinbaum the other day. But he's going to say stupid things. They're coming. And that's why we love guys who say stupid things. But there's no guarantee that's going to work. It didn't work at USC. We know that. USC has a lot more resources <laughs> than Ole Miss. Um. Did it work at Tennessee? Not well. When we don't know, it was a one one year sample size. There were five hundred. Uh, they played a little better under him. Did it work at FAU? Yeah, I guess. But you know, they were five and seven last year. I think right. I, I got to. I should have checked, double checked that. But I looked at it the other day. They had a good year this year. Didn't beat anybody to speak of. Um, I I think all three of the hires, Drinkwitz at uh, Missouri being the other one, Sam Pittman at at Arkansas, I think they're all were interesting reaches, including Norvell. Norvell may have been the most sure thing, and I don't think any of them are sure things, even close. Like Dan Mullen at Florida was a sure thing. We knew he was going to have success. We didn't know how much. We weren't expecting 20 wins the first two years. He surprised people with that that he was able to get that out of these guys because they had won four the year before. But we knew he was going to be successful eventually, and he's successful now. All right, I got to get a break. I said I was going to go short, and I feel like I'm going long. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. And uh, my good friend Scott Rabelais, who covers LSU, we're going to talk some LSU football. And you may say, come on, Dooley, why are we talking LSU? They're number one. We got to talk about them, man. It's the story. The story in college football is Ed Ogeron and Joe Burrow and the Heisman Trophy Saturday, and you know who I voted for. Unless The only person who didn't vote for the quarterback who plays in the Southeastern Conference, I can't – I don't even think I can say the name because they may take my vote away. But the only people that would vote are people who just went, look at me. Look what I did. I didn't vote for Joe Burrow. Oh, I said his name out loud. Oh, no, I'm going to lose my vote. We got to take a break. We'll be back with Scott Rabelais right after this. Zaxby's taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or visit Zaxby's.com. All right, welcome back to the Duly Noted Podcast. A great pleasure to be joined by my friend Scott Rabelais from the Baton Rouge Advocate. And uh, he's, you guys must be losing your minds over there. 
Well, Pat, it's, it's been a pretty unbelievable season, you know, with LSU. It's, um, just, just the latest in a long run of things in our coverage area that have been like national stories. I mean, you know, it, it had, it had, no, seriously, had, you know, the seven overtime game last year and the, the, the Saints, uh, the horrible call for the Saints in the NFC championship game and, and Anthony Davis saga, they used to draft Zion Williamson. Uh, and now it's Joe Burrow and, and the number one LSU team. It's been it's been pretty it's been a wild year. Yeah, and you're probably uh, going to bed every night, going, "Thank you, Lord, for this," <laughs> because you get so many opportunities to write stuff. Let me ask you this question. I was thinking about this today. If if do you think for L- now? I know how they feel right now, but do you think when time passes? People look back and say Joe Burrow was the best LSU player ever, which is saying a heck of a lot. Well, you know, I, I think certainly for people younger than myself, I'm in my early 50s, are probably going to say that. Uh, you know, forever, the the standard has been Billy Cannon. Right. Uh, you know, you know, who was on the 58 team and won the, won the Heisman 60 years ago. Yesterday, he sixty years ago. Yesterday, he got the Heisman from Richard Nixon <laughs> at the banquet. Um, but uh, yeah, and Billy was a great player. Obviously, they had to play both ways back then. You know, he was he returned, of course, kicks the the punt return against Ole Miss on Halloween night is one of the most iconic plays in SEC history, not just LSU history. But you know, it's the game has changed tremendously, uh, and and, and uh, it is. He has uh, had the best season statistically of any SEC quarterback. You know, uh, he he could be on the. He's certainly on the verge. He certainly could re- get there against Oklahoma at five thousand yards and fifty touchdowns, which is just unthinkable for an LSU quarterback. <laughs> so yeah, I think for the last, as I've told other people, for the last sixty years, Billy Cannon's been the, the standard. Uh, I think you could say for the next sixty, it'll probably be Joe Burrow. Let me ask you this, too, because every time I see an interview with Ed Ogeron, I always think to myself, I, I, don't, I, I don't quite get why he's such a good coach, okay? And, and it's just because we're not around it all the time. We're not in the meetings. We're not around the locker room. So we don't get it. He just kind of comes off as, as this kind of character, right? But what would you say is the one attribute that makes him such a great coach? Um, for lack of a better word, maturity. I think he's the guy grew as a person uh, from his life. You know, he's a lot of people say, "Whoa, I got the Matt Ogeron stories from when he was uh, in college or back in the he and Bobby Hebert, um yeah, cl- uh, christened a few ships, as they say, <laughs> <laughs> in college together at Northwestern State uh, in Natchitoches, Louisiana. But, um, you, you know, and when he was a, his first head coaching job at Ole Miss, he said he tried to do everything. He said he's a defensive line coach by by trade, and he said I'd be in there trying to in the offensive meetings and trying to coach the wide receivers, and I didn't know how to coach wide receivers, and he just felt like he had to put his imprint on everything, and it was it was a disaster. He won ten games in three years, three SEC games. But, you know, he got went back to being a position coach. He when Lane Kiffin got fired at USC, they made him the interim there. He went six and two. Thought he could get a job there. They, of course, they. They weren't convinced, and, and didn't like his pedigree, and and uh, then he came to he went to the Saints and came to LSU as an assistant and took over for Les Miles when he got fired, and and uh, he, uh, he 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 was able to to delegate and, and try to put good coaches around him. He trusted Steve Insminger as offensive coordinator, and uh, you know they kept Dave Aranda. Uh, Jimbo Fisher tried to hire him at Texas A&M when he arrived. 
And uh, last year, he's like he had the the willingness to do what Les Miles never could was uh, was change the culture of the offense. That we got to go to the spread. And Ensminger said, "Yeah, I agree, but we got we got to bring in some fresh ideas." So they bring in Joe Brady from the Saints, and uh, you got a good a great quarterback. Uh, a veteran quarterback in, in Joe Burrow, you know, fifth-year senior running things, and, and it's all worked out. So he's learned to be the more of the CEO coach. He's still now he's still in there every day at practice in the trenches, coaching the defensive line. He's got a D-line coach, but he likes to do that, and he's 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 still doing that. But he's not trying to coach. Um, he's not trying to do Joe Brady's job and you know teach the the pass route concepts that he wants. It, 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 he's he's given himself up to that and and uh, you know has veto power, but it's it's a, it's a different approach and and I think that's that is what has made him a better coach and well, frankly this year probably gonna make him a national coach of the year with at least somebody. Uh, I don't think there's much question. What uh, you know, I think a lot of us assume Joe Brady's going to be a one year wonder and he'll be out, but he said after the game, I'm definitely back next year. How sincere do you think he is? Uh, what you know? What, there's going to be a lot of NFL openings, as you know. Um, do you really 100% think he'll be back, or give me a, give me a kind of percentage on that? I'm never 100% about anything. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you know 80 85% that he'll be he'll be back. Yeah, I mean the right opportunity could come along. For example, uh, you know, with Lane Kiffin leaving FAU, um, he's from Pembroke Pines. Uh, uh, Joe Brady is. Maybe they come. Colin Kirby's like, yeah, we'll move back to South Florida and be a head coach. I mean, I, that's, I doubt that's going to happen, but you never, you never know. Um, but uh, they're going to reward him financially. Uh, he's making like four hundred ten thousand a year this year. He's going to be making, you know, uh, you know, two and a half times that, maybe three times that next season. They have a plan, and they've been working on him for a while uh, to to try to keep him in place with a longer term contract and and a lot more money. And they got to pay in Steve Inswinger. A lot more money too, because Joe is not the offensive coordinator, you know. They, and but they might want to be co-coordinators at some point. So I think they have a chance to to retain him. Uh, uh, there's been some talk of his names are mentioned, like at Texas and stuff like that. And I, I don't think that kind of lateral move is is very likely. But uh, yeah, I, you know, what we don't know about him is something that you alluded to. Does he eventually want to go go to the pros and go back to the pros like he was with the Saints? Yeah, how much does he like recruiting? We just still don't know him very well. Hope to get to know him a little bit better um, uh, tonight. He's up for the Broyles Award in Little Rock, and uh, one of our reporters is there. And then talk to him more at the bowl game. So hopefully we'll get a little better feel for him. But I think LSU is likely to keep him. Yes, as you know, Scott, the great one of the great things about covering uh, New Year's Six and. Um, the, uh, the obviously the playoffs is that those guys all have to talk, so you get to you get to kind of find out about about what they're about and what they're like. Let me ask you this: So, did obviously when when the news broke on um, Sunday at at twelve ish, and then three hours later we find out where all the other bulls were going. But don't get me started on that. Um, LSU fans had to have a little sense of euphoria to be one, number one, which is where I've had them pretty much all year. But there also had to be a little trepidation of, oh, man, nobody's going to think Oklahoma has a chance in this game. And already the spread comes out, I think it's 13 or 14. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the big goal, of course, yeah, they'd been number one. They slipped back to number two for two weeks behind Ohio State. And I was talking about they're the more complete team. And, and you know, yada, yada. And, you know they, they go back to number one. And, and when, the only one that matters, is, of course, at, at the end. 
And uh, so you you avoid what it looked like everyone wanted to avoid, which is playing Clemson in the semifinal. I wish LSU's got the early game, the Peach Bowl against Oklahoma. I wish I could sit down and watch, just sit down and watch that game. That's going to be a heck of a game, I think, between Ohio State and Clemson. But um, so LSU got the one seed. They got the you know, Oklahoma is obviously the the weakest of the four. They've had a lot more close games, though they're still very capable of beating LSU. I mean, they've they've got the LSU killer and himself and Jalen Hurts as their quarterback. So, uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's you know what what they wanted. You have the best scenario geographically for your fans, not for the sports writers who would like to go back to Scottsdale. You know, because yeah. the festival was really good <laughs> uh, last best, year when yeah. LSU played Seattle. Yeah. But uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's a good reward, but you know it's it's kind of pick your poison. These are four. It's it, it's a tough it's a tough group uh, this year, and at least you're gonna uh, you're gonna avoid one of those two teams that are you know really really good in Ohio State and Clemson, fellow undefeated teams, and uh, you're gonna have a chance to play them in your backyard, basically in New Orleans on January January 13th. LSU has played, by the way, the last three times the national title game was in New Orleans. LSU was in it, so that is amazing. Uh, I think, last, yeah, I think the last time it wasn't was Florida State and, and Virginia Tech back in yeah, in two thousand or something like that. So, you know, I was I I, I can never find <laughs> that game control stat they always talk about. Like all I all I get is things for Nintendo. But uh, how many minutes and seconds do you know how many uh, they trailed all year LSU? Because I'm wondering if the the longest time they trailed this year was against Florida there in the third quarter. That's a good question. I, I I don't know. That's one. That is a very nebulous stat to me as well. I mean, obviously, strength of schedule and strength of record and all that sort of thing. Uh, they they haven't they have not trailed very much. I mean, uh, and they didn't trail Alabama at all. They they trailed you know they trailed uh, I think they trailed Auburn at, at times. I'm trying to think of the games they were behind in. Um, they they never trailed Georgia uh, this past week in the in the championship game. Um, it's uh, it hasn't been very much, yeah. and 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 a lot of, of course, a lot of quick drives. They've they've had a lot of you know, two you know, two minute and minute fifty and two minute thirty uh, drives. So, um, yeah, game control is maybe a little bit harder when you're scoring so fast. But but they're they're uh, they kind of varied the tempo a little bit late in the season and maybe trying to give their defense a little bit of a breather at times, which is probably one thing that has contributed to the defense playing better in the last three games. Last thing for you, and we appreciate your time, Scotty. Um, who has a statue at Tiger Stadium? Is it Billy Cannon have one? Billy, Billy Cannon is the only one. There, are, There's a the statues for Pete Maravich, Shaquille O'Neal, and Bob Pettit over at the Assembly Center. At the pack. There's yeah. one out there. Bertman at the the, at the the baseball park, but the only football one is Billy Cannon, which is kind of odd since LSU is a he's such a football identifies as a football school. But it's out it's out front on the on the press box side uh, in this little plaza, and uh, you know we're already wondering where they're going to put the Joe Burrow statue. <laughs> and when when will it go up? Will they even? I guess maybe an hour after the Heisman, they'll start working on. It. Hey Scott, we really appreciate your time. Scott Rabelais from the Baton Rouge paper. We appreciate his time. We'll be back with more of the Duly Noted podcast at GatorSports.com. Zaxby's taking chicken to a whole new level of flavor. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or visit Zaxby's.com. All right, thanks so much to Scott. Uh, known Scott for a long time, and um, 
you know, what he was talking about with Glendale. He's right. I, I, we've been to Glendale once for one game. Obviously, we were there for uh, – when I say we, I'm talking about me and my wife and family and everything. Uh, we were there for the 95 uh, Fiesta Bowl, which did not go well. but And that was that was fun, but there is nothing like covering a bowl game at Glendale. It is the best there is. Um, I, I think it's going to be great in Miami, too. I know Danny Ponce really well. I know Eric Ponce, who's the CEO down there. And I'm hoping that uh, they're going to do as well as the Peach Bowl did last year. And I know you don't want to hear about, oh, Pat Dooley's got a luxury hotel and he's going to eat free meals and all this. It's my podcast. All right, that's all I'm going to say about it. Okay? Calm down. Uh, Other bowl-wise, look, you know my philosophy on the bowls, okay? And that is, there are not, if you say there are not, there are too many bowl games, we can't be friends, okay? Because I don't think there are enough. I think there should be bowl games. I think everybody should play in a bowl game. Put all 130 in. We'll play, what, it'd be 65 bowl games. I'd be fine with that. I love because the thing is, oh, there are too many though. You got six and six teams playing each other. Uh, they're terrible. I watch them. Oh, don't watch. There aren't too many. First of all, ESPN needs it for programming. We all know that. And we all know how desperate ESPN is for programming because we sat through two and a half hours of nothing on Sunday to wait to see, to make sure Florida was going to the Orange Bowl. And yes, I'm one of the fools that did that. Now, I was working at the time, too. But um, there are not too many bowls. There are not enough. I w- wish there were more. Uh, there, some of them aren't compelling. I'm looking forward to all the SEC teams. I'm always looking forward to that, uh, seeing how they do. I'm looking forward, to, obviously, to playoffs. You know, a game like Michigan-Wisconsin is going to get a lot of hype. Um, I said Michigan-Wisconsin. I mean, Oregon-Wisconsin is going to get a, little, a lot of hype. Michigan-Alabama is going to be interesting. Kind of. We'll see how many guys from Alabama play. Um, but the main thing is, it's something to watch. Hey, there's a there's a college football game on. You're not going to have this in a few. Well, I would say a few a few weeks. But the where they've put the college football final on the 13th of January. Don't tell me college football can't be a two semester sport. It is a two semester sport. But there's nothing that stands out to me. Uh, and the bowl schedule. I'm just looking forward to it. I love the bowl season. It starts in what is it? A week in what is today? Eighth. I got to remember because my daughter's birthday, Jennifer's birthday, was Sunday. Uh, so it would be eighth, ninth, tenth. As we sit here right now, it starts in ten days. Bowl season. See, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Love bowl season. Um, all right. ESPN came out with its 150 best coaches of all time. Um, and again, they had, a, they had a great panel put together. Uh, this is part of the 150-year celebration of college football. I feel like Steve Spurrier was way low at 27. I think Steve Spurrier is in the top 15. But I also know that what they do, they, they're looking at championships, but – you got to look at what he did at Florida. He came into a program that couldn't win the big one and won the big one several times. And when I say big one, I'm talking about the SEC. SEC, right? 93 to 96, won them all. Uh, I, I'm prejudiced on this, totally. I love Steve Spurrier. 
Uh, he's. Uh, I think it's. I was telling this to somebody the other day. That to think of this little boy who grew up, went to his first game when he was not quite eight years old, went to, um, was there for the kick in 1966, 12 years old. Might have been 11. I turned 12 on November 14th. I can't remember the date. And to think about that and now to consider Steve Spurry to be a good friend of mine, it's like the dream come true. You're talking about the greatest skater ever. There's no, there's, it's, there's not like Tebow's uh, and Werfel distant second. Sorry, it's the way it works. Anyway, I think he's a little low, and I think Urban's low at 46. Won national titles at two different places. Won two here. Won one at, at uh, Ohio State. Maybe the circumstances of some negative stuff and. The fact that he quit on Florida, and now he quit on Ohio State, and we don't know. Yeah, maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe the lack of longevity. I still think he's low. And again, when you're going like, uh, well, you know, uh, Amos Alonzo Stagg and New Canute Rockney and guys like that, we don't know how good of coaches they were. We don't, we know what they did. The winning, n- none of us covered them, so we don't really know. But you got to include the older guys in there. It's disrespectful. All right, I think that's enough. I, I'm about out of throat. I need a lozenge, but I do have to do three things. It's time for three things. Always have to do three things. All right, don't forget we'll be back with you Tuesday and do another one of these podcasts. All right, three things. Number one, I see where the Citrus Bowl is having a $60 million renovation to spruce it up. They had a recent renovation. I know they redid the press box a couple years ago. Um, Good luck. They're going to improve parking, they said. Good luck. Uh, I hope hope it happens so I don't have to be critical of it so much. I hate going to the stadium. I was the happiest guy in the world when, when I think the happiest thing about Florida beating Florida State this year was I knew Florida was probably going to a New Year's Six Bowl, and I didn't care where, where it was. Yeah, the Cotton Bowl would have been inconvenient. Yeah, the Sugar Bowl, I've been a million times. Yeah, Miami, the Orange Bowl, there, there's some negatives to every, any bowl you want to go to, but the Inconvenience Bowl, let's see if they can get this game straightened out. And I know they host all kinds of events, including the Pro Bowl, where it rained, it leaked, Onto the owners' boxes, but they've got a, they've got a look. It's Orlando, man. You should have literally the state-of-the-art facility. The only way to do that is to tear this one down. Personally, I would, but I don't know where else they could put it. I mean, there's not a lot of available real estate, but hopefully they make it better. Maybe who knows? I may never find out. Number two, I was talking to some people about this the other day and my theory about why the Jacksonville Jaguars two years ago could reach out and almost touch a Super Bowl berth, and now they're 9-20 and 20 over the last two years. And my theory, I, I ran by somebody who knows the team very well, and he was talk, talk, talking about the culture being really bad there. And I said, my theory is this was a young team two years ago, and it all came too fast for them. All of a sudden, 
They were the talk of the town. Not not Jacksonville. They were the talk of the NFL. Man, the Jaguars, Blake Bortles has figured it out. You know, they've got all these young superstars, Dante Fowler, Jalen Ramsey, and it went to everybody's head. Next thing you know, Dante Fowler's getting in fights with teammates. Jalen Ramsey wants to be traded. It is it was not a, it was a toxic situation. They're obviously going to fire their coach at the end of the season, I would think, Doug Marone. I, I think he's a pretty good coach. Um, but when you're losing like that, and unfortunately that may happen with Dan Quinn as well, but it is amazing. I, I think the stat that I was told, and I'm not, I'm not 100%, that they're the first team to lose uh, four straight games by 25 since 1966. I, I, I'm quoting a stat. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's something like that. And that, look, you don't even need the specifics of that stat. That's a bad stat. Now that all the money they spent on Nick Foles was a waste of money, they may have to just get rid of him. Uh, and then Gardner Minshew maybe lost his confidence after they benched him and brought Foles in because they had to get their the money, their money's worth, and he hasn't been very good. Look, I follow the Jaguars. I don't like them necessarily, but I do follow them. They're a local team in a way. Not quite, though. That's all I have on that. And number three, I, have, I watched last night – the Eagles-Giants game. If you had told me, hey, Pat, it's going to be December, you're going to be watching a game between a team that is 5-7 and seven and a team that's 2-10. and 10, Or 2-12. and 12. What are they? 5-7, and 7, two, and, 2 and whatever they are. They won two games. You're going to watch it from first snap to last snap, and it's going to go overtime. I would have told you you're out of your mind. But there was something intriguing about that game. Not only was it Eli Manning, maybe his last start ever. Maybe it may be. Who knows? Peyton was there, I think, for that reason. Uh, and he lit it up early. And then the Eagles came back, but they, they kept making mistakes. They were getting booed off the field. It was pouring down rain. And then the Eagles were down to one receiver on their team that could play that was healthy. I've never seen that in my life in the NFL. I'm sure it's happened. I've never seen it. One receiver. One. One. Uno. They were going double tight ends. They were trying everything else. At one point, they toyed with the idea of putting McCown, their backup quarterback, in at receiver just to line him up so you'd have somebody out there. And the Eagles end up winning the game, keep pace with the Cowboys. I had a fun time watching that game. I don't know if you did or not, but it was fun. Almost, well, not quite like a college game, but it felt a little bit like a college game. And playoff implications, obviously. All right, that's enough. <clears throat> Let me go. I appreciate everybody for listening in. I appreciate everything you guys do. And again, next week we will have another podcast, so make sure you tune in. Until then, I'm Pat Dooley, the sports columnist of the Gainesville Sun. I am deep. I am way back, and I am out of here. Duly Noted Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's. Satisfy your craving for hand-breaded chicken and fresh-made salads. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com forward slash podcast. And by Vistar Credit Union with locations across Gator Country. Visit vistarcu.org and also ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. ABC, always be celebrating.